The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 29 of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Compton, and today on the show we have a very special guest. His name is Zach Zucker. So Zach is a literary manager at Bellevue Productions, who, if you are a Twitter person, you're probably familiar. Um, very popular. John Zazerny is a literary manager there who does a lot of... He's pretty active in the screenwriting community on Twitter, um, but yeah, Zach is a rep there. Uh, Zach has worked at UTA. He worked at 20th Century Fox. He independently produces. In fact, he was a producer on a film called The Novice that won multiple awards, including Best U.S. Narrative at the 2021 Tribeca Film Festival, which is amazing. He is a graduate of the USC producing program. And we had a great chat just about like, this is the second time I've brought a manager on the show. The first was my manager, Jared Murray at Epicenter. And it's one of the most listened to episodes. And I thought, you know, people obviously want to hear what reps have to say. What's it like on that side of the table? What are they looking for? It's the ongoing mystery for unrepped writers. And so I wanted to bring a rep on, uh, to talk about this, but also Zach really wanted to discuss something that was like a thing that blew up on Twitter, but it was as most screenwriting drama does, but it was a conversation about like the intersection of the screenwriting marketplace and what you truly want to write in your heart. Um, and it was kind of a misunderstanding on Twitter again, as most things are, but, um, Zach wanted to come on and just talk about he wanted a place to talk about this and uh, I was tagged on the conversation and I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, so this is our conversation and I, I think it's a great one. I think it's really valuable. You know, as screenwriters, we all want to write what's in our heart and, you know, write the crazy spec that is just um, never been done before and shows our genius. And we should all be pursuing that. However, I think there is a realistic um, thing to keep in mind about how the industry works, what the marketplace is trending towards, um, and these trends that are here today are going to be gone in a year, and who knows where we're going to be at in five years. So that weird spec that no one wants to read today that you know is good, in three years you might find somewhere for it. Um, because the trend will move that direction or you'll find a producer who's brave enough to say, this is fucking good. I don't care if it's a big risk. I believe in this script. I believe it'll break through. Uh, just look to everything everywhere all at once for something like that. But anyway, um, I'm going to let it, let us get into this conversation with Zach Zucker. However, first I do just want to tell you guys that I released a short film a few weeks back called CAPTCHA. It is the story of a paranoid young man who comes home to find his roommate can't solve an internet captcha, like one of those, you know, select all the photos with mountains type things. And because he can't solve this captcha, this paranoid young man begins to suspect that he may be living with a robot. 
basically we tried to set out to write the dumbest episode of Black Mirror that anyone's ever seen. That's why we're marketing this as a sci-fi thriller horror comedy short film. And I think we do do all those things in it, all those genre elements. It's a weird mashup, but I think it works. And, you know, the response has been amazing so far. If you've been one of those people who checked it out or shared it or said something nice, I seriously appreciate it so, so much. And I know the cast and crew does as well. Um, But yeah, and I'll I'll mention, too, that we made this with our own gear. Um, It was just a passion project from a very few people. It was like a four-person crew and a three-person cast. One of the cast was also our sound guy, and he was doing that for the first time. Um, And I think I spent 250 bucks out of pocket on props, like two props and meals and crafty for everyone to eat. So it was kind of a weird, real guerrilla way of making a movie and the most guerrilla short film that I've made so far. And it was a fucking blast. And I love doing things that are low stakes, high reward, low risk, high reward. Um, It was really fun. So you can find that on YouTube. Also on my YouTube, Andy Compton Film, you can see uh, Ethan and Edna, which is a short film that I did before CAPTCHA. That's a short dramedy film about a young man who gets dumped by his girlfriend and confides in his kind of foul-mouthed, no-nonsense grandma. And they spend the day together and they set out to go retrieve from his ex his phone charger. Um, very simple plot, but, um, I think it has a lot of heart and it's fun and funny and people seem to like it. So please check out those films if you would. I really appreciate that guys. Subscribe to the YouTube. I'm trying to kind of build up that presence a little bit. And then also if you want to say something nice about this show, tweet about it at social writer pod. You can tag us up on Instagram or Twitter. Really appreciate that. If you feel so inclined, you can donate in our link tree on our account. There is a donate button. You know, if you want to buy me a cup of coffee, I wouldn't say no. Thank you very much. Guys, let's get into this episode with Zach Zucker. All right, cool. Zach Zucker, thank you for coming on the show today, man. Is that a Red Wings jersey? It is. Cool. Are you a Detroit fan? Uh, I'm originally from Detroit, yeah. Nice, nice. I'm a St. Louis Blues fan, so we used to be rivals, but really not so much anymore. It's kind of faded away, but I actually really like the Red Wings team. Half of it is the blue, old Blues. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. it's crazy. Um, it, co- coming out to L.A., it's, it's, it's crazy. First of all, how many Midwesterners are out here mm-hmm. um, from Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis? You know, we all escape the cold weather. As oh, yeah. I say this, it's probably 60 degrees and bordering raining in L.A., but, you know. Uh-huh. Most, yeah. mostly good out here yeah yeah that's awesome yeah cool i always love meeting fellow hockey fans in uh in the industry um i'm a pretty big hockey fan not not too big on other sports i mean baseball i pay a bit of attention to in st louis the cardinals are such a like you know we're such a baseball town that i casually pay attention but hockey's definitely my thing um st louis is definitely a baseball town yeah oh yeah big time big time uh cool so if you don't mind man i'd love to just kind of jump in Uh, At the start of you being, uh, well, first off, you are a literary manager at Bellevue Productions. Um, You also are a producer. Are you still producing? For me, it's it's kind of a secondary business. Um, We can get into that in terms of, you know, managing versus producing. There is some overlap, right? Some managers produce and and vice versa. And so for me, like I, I kind of had a career transition point where I was producing prior to managing. And so... I still occasionally produce, but um, by default, I'm I'm not producing my clients' work. 
Yeah, that's how Jared is too. My manager, for people who don't know, I'm uh, repped by Jared Murray at Epicenter, and he's produced, I think, a couple of things, one being 1BR. That was a movie that was on Netflix. Um, but yeah, we talked about that too, how there's just kind of that conflict of interest that should usually be avoided. Maybe not always. He told me in some you know rare circumstances, they will produce a client's work if they think it fits. But uh, he was like, usually we don't. Usually, if I'm yeah, I, mean, I, I think outside. it definitely depends. Yeah, different managers will have different philosophies on that. I think, you know, at Bellevue, yeah. we've kind of chosen one that works well for us personally. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, shout out Jared and the Epicenter team. I really like those guys. Um, yeah. Great managers over there. So much love. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm sure he will hear this. He listens to every episode. Isn't that right, Jared? I don't know if he does. Um, we'll but see anyway, the litmus test. Yeah, we'll see. But I did want to shout out real quick a cool accolade that you have. You were a producer on uh, a film called The Novice that won multiple awards, including Best U.S. Narrative at the 2021 Tribeca Film Festival. That is super rad. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was fun, and you know, certainly wasn't wasn't me leading the charge. There was a really fantastic writer director named Lauren Hadaway who uh, I'm really thrilled to be able to continue working with, and and some other great producers. That I was lucky enough to partner with on that one, but it was a lot of a lot of hard work and a lot of fun getting to see you know the accomplishments that came from originally a great script. Yeah, that's excellent, man. Uh, so yeah, let's jump into uh, the very beginning. What was the path that led you to representing screenwriters? For sure. So for me, coming from the Midwest, you know, I always loved film and TV. I didn't really know if that was a viable career path, and so initially, I started working in the tech space. But um, after, you know, a couple of years of that, I, I got antsy and, and started doing some actual research. You know, is it viable to have a business to, you know, make a living in this industry? Um, I love the creative side. I kind of knew that I didn't have the talent to be a writer or a director. And so, you know, it complicated it a little bit. But eventually I realized like, oh, yeah, there's this thing called producing, you know, being a studio exec sounded like a cool job. Um, you know, I knew of what an, like what an agent was through like entourage and Jerry Maguire, but like, and it didn't quite seem you know the right pathway for me, to be honest, I had no idea what a literary manager was. I didn't know this job existed when I started. Mm -hmm. Um, but the catalyst for me was getting into USC film school, uh, to their MFA program. Um, really, uh, really great program called the Peter Stark producing program, which kind of led me down this track. From there, you know, I did my time as an assistant. I worked at a talent agency. I worked at a movie studio. Uh, then I worked as an independent producer. And for me, as a producer, I kind of realized that I loved the creative side the most, working with writers. And to be blunt, I think I was better at that. I just wasn't as good or as passionate about the physical slash line production side of the business. And so being a manager was a great way for me to take what I loved and what I was good at as a producer and, and make that my whole job. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I think we should all be striving for that, you know, find your strength and find the thing you love and see where they intersect. And yeah, go for it. Full steam ahead. Definitely. Uh, cool. Yeah, that's great. And then so how long have you been with Bellevue? I've been here, man, almost five years now. It's crazy oh, to think about. Awesome. Like the pandemic has just thrown off all sense of time and space. But yeah, I know it, it's insane that we're in year three. Like, I think we just hit the third anniversary of lockdown like days ago. This is recorded on March 19th. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just we wild moved into our new offices. I say new. We've been there since 2019 now, but we moved in there. Talent of 2019, just before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I got it set up and whatnot. And then I don't think I went back for like two years. 
insane i know it's insane yeah just it's it's all such a blur but um okay cool so i wanted to jump into like just kind of your take as a manager um this show is mostly listened to by up-and-coming screenwriters aspiring screenwriters um and you know people who are established but i really like to you know give the the um the information that i would love to have had maybe two three years ago four years ago when i was you know uh not represented yet. I hadn't really like made any noise in contests or anything. So it's all really, it's a puzzle. As you know, it's a puzzle for writers to put together in the beginning. Like, how do I get from here to where I want to be? Um, so I was wondering your take on just like, you know, a lot of what's talked about as an up and coming screenwriter is that you need to have a brand. You need to have a, a signature brand that is your writing, your sensibilities and and a lot of that is like, does that mean genre? Does that mean you're just kind of funny? Does that mean you have, you know, um, really cerebral horror ideas that are metaphors for life and, you know, uh, our world? So I was wondering, what is brand to you? How would you defri- define brand for screenwriters? So, yeah, I, I it's a good question. And I think that the term branding may have a negative connotation for a lot of writers, just because I think there's an inherent depersonalization, right, of, of that. And, and I get mm-hmm. that. I do think that writers can use it to their advantage. If you think of it from the perspective of, as a writer, when you're dealing with representatives, essentially, I hate to say it, but like, you are the product, right? Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with producers, the product is the script. But if you're dealing with representatives, we're signing people, not projects. And so, you know, I think there's a way to use it in a way that maybe has a bit more of a positive connotation to differentiate yourself from the pack, to showcase your own uniqueness and value as a human being. And I think that's how a writer can use that term branding to their advantage. And so the components, what I would say is, first and foremost, everyone on the other side of the table views things through the lens of genre, right? Mm -hmm. Beyond that background, I think is an important concept, whether you're talking about, you know, any sort of diversity and inclusivity opportunities to talk about that, right? Um, Lived experience, previous jobs, you know, skill sets, hobbies, right? Anything that feels unique about you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you could use those effectively in combination in other words combine what makes you as a person special with what makes your writing special in whatever space you know that you're writing in i think that is how you formulate an effective brand for you as a writer yeah i would totally agree and i do see that a lot you know um speaking of twitter bullshit um there's there's um I've seen that get tossed around a lot as like a Twitter drama is like the brand thing. And I don't want to be confined to a specific genre and blah, blah, blah. And it's fine. You really don't have to be, but just understand that that is how a lot of the industry functions is that like people are going to say like you, they, they don't want you to bring a really heady sci-fi script, um, a really funny buddy comedy and you know a 30 minute animation that's just silly 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 um and those are your three samples to work with i mean they're probably going to say this is the one i think you're the best at you should like lean into that more um it's just tough uh but you got to play the game if you really want to make it and then whenever you quote unquote make it uh, and you might agree with this then you can kind of fuck around and do what you want you can you can branch out but like 
it really is just easier early on. I've come to the hard understanding of defining a brand for yourself. Totally. Works. Yeah. I mean, like I'll put it this way. Yeah. If you want to make it as a writer in a professional context where you're consistently getting paid for your craft, mm -hmm. work within the system, right? Doesn't yeah. mean you have to be a slave to the system. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge that the system exists and work within it to get to a point where you can then break free and fuck with the system, right? Like not mm -hmm. to get too like political or anything like that, right? But like, yeah. it is a business and a lot of writers, I, you know, I, I've gotten this pushback too, where there's a very cynical mindset of, you know, I'm me and the industry isn't going to box me in. And I think you can have it both ways. I think it's actually advantageous to present yourself as a unique individual, as one of one but do it in the broader context or framework of someone who can bring value to people on the other side of the table in the, on the business side, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's being an expert in a genre that they're demanding, whether it's offering a unique style of writing when it comes to dialogue or whatever your expertise is, right? That is above and beyond the competition. Mm -hmm. It is a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, not to depersonalize, I'm on the writer's side and I agree. I don't look at it as depersonalization really, because we are a product. Our writing is a product. If it's something we intend to sell, then, you know, you can call it, you know, it's my art. It's not a product, but I, I want to sell shit. I, I want to make money off this. Like, you know, so I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think there's a big gray area that some people miss there. Yeah, you um, can write art for art's sake. Just don't expect to be paid for it. Right, right. Yeah, and you know you can write art that's really, really good, but don't expect to not receive notes either that are maybe trying to help it be the most uh, commercially viable thing that works and that people will want to. Because also we all know movies and television are not cheap. People are making big, expensive gambles on things, so. Yeah, it, it just makes sense. Um, anyway, uh, moving forward, though, I think that's a great answer about brand from a rep's perspective. Um, so for you personally, as a manager, what are some ways that you found clients? Like, do you respond to query emails? Uh, is it more recommendations from people that you trust? Do you pay attention to contests? Um, which is probably a really big one for uh, a lot of up and coming writers. Uh, how do you usually find clients? Definitely. And queries and contests in particular, I think are worthy of a bigger conversation. So I think those are two of the most common ways that writers can actually break in. So um, I think we should definitely talk more about those later on in mm -hmm. terms of answering the question at hand. Yeah, it's a pretty wide variety of sources for me. I think, you know, referrals are big. Mm -hmm. queries i try to read all of them there's at times an overwhelming amount but i do the best i can sure. um contests for sure i'm paying attention to you know film school um you know pitch fest things like that but um i would say the most common for me tends to be at this point in my career referrals and mm -hmm. queries which probably isn't the case for all management companies, but one thing I will say at Bellevue, not, not that we're the only ones by any means, but mm -hmm. I, I do think we pride ourselves in, you know, trying our best to look at queries and some of my more successful clients I found through query letters. So yeah, I think it's possible at the same time, I would be lying if, <clears> if I didn't say like the response rate was pretty low just because we get an overwhelming number. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I can't imagine what uh, the inbox of a a manager, especially at a company like Bellevue, that I feel like you guys are very out in the open um, in the Twitter space, especially, which is like just kind of opens the door for more query invitations, I'm sure. But uh, not a bad thing. Deleted my Twitter a couple uh, couple weeks ago, my Twitter. Uh, but yeah, know, for a while it was going well. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, that makes sense. I've always thought referrals are probably big for me. I broke in through um, placing pretty high in the nickel, so I played the contest game. But being you know as a fellow Midwesterner, for me still being here in St. Louis, I kind of knew that things that I can do online are gonna be my way in if there's any way in so for me it was contests i wasn't a big query person i i never learned the craft in the beginning i did that thing that i'll mention this for writers who haven't made this mistake and maybe would um i sent out basically i wrote one just generic query letter that is like a to whom it may concern thing and sent it to 50 reps that i got the, on this list from i forget who and uh didn't get one reply so, um, and I think that's kind of why there is an art to writing a query letter. In fact, I think it was with ScreenCraft, but um, I'll, I'll try to link it. Saeed Crumpler, who is a great writer and just got a three-year um, deal with Sony Pictures Television, uh, he wrote an article about query letters. I will have to dig it up and share it on my Twitter just for people. There, there's an art to it, and he did it really well, so I will share that. But um, so I want to know... What are some attributes a script can have that will make you pursue a meeting with a writer? So now we're talking the execution of the script itself? Yes. Yeah. At least the, sure. the, dra the draft that you receive first. Yeah, for sure. So I think the first thing to be cognizant of, and again, I, I know this is something writers kind of roll their eyes at. I'm not saying this is how it should be, but it's just how it, it is how it is. Yeah. The first like five to 10 pages have to hook the reader in, right? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. the reality is there's so many scripts that anyone in the industry, myself included, go through in a given week. We just don't have the bandwidth to read 30, 40 pages, hoping that it gets good in act two. Um, sure. Obviously talking features in that, in that context. Same mm -hmm. for TV, right? So what I would say is front load your script um, in whatever way, shape, or form you know you think works best for you but in a way that five or 10 pages in, the reader's hooked, right? Because mm -hmm. that's the key. Mm -hmm. They're going to put the script down. I guarantee you, when I send scripts to producers, I know they're putting the script down. Even if they mm -hmm. like me and they, you know, they'll read my shit, they're still going to put the script down if they're mm -hmm. not invested in the first, like, let's say 10 pages. Yeah. Um, and that's being a little bit generous, especially on, I was like, gonna if, it's a, if it's like a half hour TV thing, right? Like it's got to be like the first scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so once you've hooked them, then I think it's a, I, I would view it in this context, it's a continual journey to continue to hook them, right? Every 10 pages, there has to be something that's going to keep them vested and keep them from getting bored mm -hmm. and also keep them from getting confused. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that there are no rules in screenwriting except for two things. Don't bore the reader, don't mm -hmm. confuse the reader, right? And a yes. lot of the notes that I give as a manager are, in service of those two rules right mm -hmm. there are certain things that are confusing okay those are things that we'll address in the notes process um and you know if there are things like pacing issues um you know like a lack of um you know kinetic action in certain contexts um boring dialogue you know things like that right that's where you know we can work on notes in that respect but they're all geared towards making the script a continually exciting read so that execs are turning pages 
Yeah, I would 100% agree. Um, Again, we're talking about a lot of harsh truths about the industry, and it's good to hear it from a rep's perspective. But yeah, I think 10 pages, like you said, it's probably generous. Uh, The way I've come to think about it now is like my first page just needs to be great. Like it needs to showcase that there's chops there. There's an interesting hook for this specific story. Um, yeah, it's, it's just gotta be there on page one, if not definitely by page two. Um, I, cause I know for me, honestly, I, I'm not in the, in the line of work of reading scripts for a living, but I have read many scripts. And, um, if I don't have to, if it's not like doing a favor for a friend or a script swap, if it's just a random script, I'm the same way, you know, like if you don't have me three to five pages in, or I think the writing isn't very good three to five pages in, I don't want to spend two hours reading it. Um, so it makes sense. Uh, yeah. what are, what are some things that you like to hear from a writer in a general meeting? Like, you know, is it the fact that they have multiple scripts ready to go? Is it an interesting backstory, which we sort of touched on? Is it significant contest placements? Like what are things that can really pique your interest in a general? In a general, I don't give a shit about contest placements. I mean, that to me, that's, yeah. and again, we can talk more about this kind of as its own topic, but for that's sure. a way for me to get exposure to the writer. Yeah. Um, in other words, I, I can go through contests and look for log lines and, and then I'll say, oh, I want to read this one. This sounds interesting. But like once I'm already meeting the writer, no, yeah. no I don't give a shit about that. For me, yeah. and, and it can be one script that they have that's great. I've signed people off of one script before. It's mm-hmm. obviously advantageous if you have two or three great scripts mm-hmm. um i don't think having a million scripts is is a plus i think it's actually a red flag um mm-hmm. you know i think executives reps whoever want to have a notion that you're someone who writes quality over quantity at the same time you know if you've only written one script ever i mean you know if your first one was amazing great maybe you're a prodigy and people will take a chance but like i think they want to see that there's a work ethic that you're treating this seriously as a job and not a hobby Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one thing I gauge for, you know, let's call it seriousness of writing. Um, Mm -hmm. Are you someone who, if I take a chance, invest in, because as any reps, you know, we don't get paid until the writer gets paid, you know, Mm -hmm. but the work has to be there before anyone makes any money. Right. So I want to get a sense of, you know, someone's taking this seriously and is going to do the work. Um, Someone is um, a person who others will find pleasant in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, that can mean someone who seems like they're willing to take notes, someone who has an agreeable personality, right? Someone who um, is able to separate themselves in some way, whether it's being, you know, the smart person in the room, the cool person, the funny person, you know, mm-hmm. the person who has a crazy lived experience, whatever it is, I truly mean anything that can separate yourself in a positive way, I think is valuable, right? Especially on the TV side when it's a more collaborative environment, right? When you're going to be staffed in a room with others, because I know showrunners are going to want to gauge those same barometers, right? When they're hiring someone, especially on a lower level, what is going to, what, what's your unique value add to that room? And so I think just getting a feel for that, mm-hmm. I think this whole notion of, you know, writers as being that Barton Fink, you know, Cohen brothers S character, right? Just kind of, away from everyone else writing in a corner and then they turn in the draft and go away like that that's just not the case in the modern context in this industry even on the feature side it's inherently a collaborative medium in the sense Mm -hmm. of you're going to be working hand in hand with producers with studio executives with directors and talent and so yeah i think just being able to showcase 
I'm someone who you're going to want to work with is really mm -hmm. valuable. And I certainly look for that. Mm -hmm. um, I think those are the major things. I mean, if I, I'll put it this way, if I'm meeting with you, it's because I've already read your work and liked your work. So at that point, it's kind of just vetting the person. Um, obviously, yeah. you know, looking to avoid any red flags, um, mm -hmm. whatever that may be, right, in terms of eccentricity. I, I don't even want to say that. Like, I would say it's very, very rare for me to have read a script, meet the person, and then say, I don't want to work with them. Um, you know, usually when that happens, it's because they've demonstrated that this is more of a hobby or, you know, a lack of willingness to take notes or something like that. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic answer. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think there, there can be a good eccentricity and a bad, a bad one. Like, you know, there's, there's the people who think that their art is incredible and nothing should ever be changed and that kind of thing, that kind of eccentricity can maybe be negative. Yeah, I mean, occasionally but, people yeah. come off a bit too aggressive, I think. Like, I think it's great to ask questions of a rep. What mm -hmm. are you going to do for me? What would your plan of action be, right? Like, you, you, absolutely, those are fair questions. Mm -hmm. Some people can take that a little too far in terms of, you know, well, uh, if you if you don't sell this in the first month, you know, what? well, it's, it's a process. It's a journey, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what you were alluding to, at least with like an unwillingness to compromise, unwillingness to bend and, you know, be a part of the process. It's a process. Exactly. Um, yeah, totally. Fantastic answer. Um, okay. So in, in what ways do you think writers can understand the market and align what they're writing in a way that increases their odds of getting read versus, you know, chasing the market and maybe diverging from their voice to chase trends? So just kind of talking market trends, talking about commercial viability. Yeah. Well, this is where I got in trouble with Twitter. Yes. Yes. And that's <laughs> because, exactly why we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'll get, I'll give the broader context since I assume most readers don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So I posted yeah. on Twitter that it is advantageous for writers to have an understanding of what people on the other side of the table are looking to read, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was a very neutral comment. And, and to be fair, I think most people agreed with that. There was some pushback yeah. actually from some bigger writers mm -hmm. that were accusing me of telling people to like chase trends or, you know, shit like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think just the fact that even some more successful writers didn't understand the difference between understanding what the market, what the market is, actively looking for versus chasing trends, I think it, it just proves that that conversation is worthy of having. And so to actually give, in my opinion, that the answer of what the difference is, and one of them I think is a positive that writers should do, and the other is a negative that writers should avoid. Mm -hmm. So the positive that I think writers should do is educate yourself, right? Have an understanding that if you're trying to do this as a career and get paid to do it, you're not writing in a vacuum. There are people on the other side of the table who have their own needs that need to be served. So it, it, and also in the context of you're working in an industry where objectively fewer than 1% of people succeed, right? And that doesn't mean, I'm not implying doom and gloom. I mean, if you're talking professional sports, if you're talking professional music, right? Any of these kind of art or entertainment fields, it's only a very small percentage of people, right? So mm -hmm. being a professional screenwriter is no different than trying to make it in the NHL, right? Or trying to be a, you know, recording artist signed to a major label or any of these other art forms, right? It is very challenging to make it and a small percentage of people do. So mm -hmm. you have to understand what is the marketplace looking for, right? And that doesn't mean that you should necessarily change your voice, right? But it does mean that, um, to frame this correctly, mm -hmm. you would be fooling yourself to use an analogy 
if you were a musician, right, and you were writing old timey ragtime music, you would be fooling yourself to think that a major record label is going to sign you in 2023, right? That's not what they're looking for. And so that doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue your passion, right? But you should have the appropriate expectations of what is going to be the end result of that passion. Hey, maybe you can find success in a niche, right? You can still put out an album, but it's probably not going to be put out by a major label, right? Yeah, maybe yeah. you can find a success, success in the indie space, you know, et cetera, right? Self-generating mm -hmm. material, self-publishing, things like that, right? It's similar in screenwriting. And so what I would say is there's also something you could take advantage of in a sense of if you know what people are looking for, not changing your voice, but accentuating the positives that are inherent in your writing that align with what people are looking for. So what do I mean by that? Okay, let's just say you're writing an area that isn't as in demand on the other side of the table, right? But there's some element in there that that is, that can stand out. As an example, you know, you have um, a fresh spin on a genre, right? Or you have a character that has a really unique life background that um, aligns with yours or whatever that is, right? That that feels like it's something that, hey, people are looking for fresh stories and fresh storytellers, right? Whatever it is that you can champion to give yourself a better chance of getting them excited on the other side of the table, you should do that, right? It, it, that just makes sense. That shouldn't be controversial, you know? Like yeah. accentuate the the most attractive elements in your work in your writing mm -hmm. so i think that's and, a positive in, in yeah. your brand when we talked over brand, brand exactly. like it, you it know, all ties you... together yeah 100 yeah. percent. Yeah. versus yeah. chasing trends which is different so so to give a little bit more concrete example of the difference um understanding the marketplace would be doing research looking at what is working at the box office what specs are selling what is making the top 10 of the annual blacklist like that sort of thing and you might realize as an example oh, certain types of horror movies are doing well, right? Particularly horror movies that feel super fresh and original um, and horror movies that align with a certain audience. Okay, yeah. that's understanding the marketplace, right? Chasing trends would be, oh, Megan just worked at the box office, so now I need my killer doll movie, right? Mm -hmm. That's not advisable, right? Both mm -hmm. because your work is inherently going to be derivative and the marketplace is constantly shifting. What's popular yeah. now will be trite six months from now. Yeah. You know, if you, if you looked at the marketplace three years from now, you would have seen, Oh my God, you know, there's a giant demand for music biopics because, you know, a star is born and Bohemian Rhapsody and rocket man all hit roughly around the same time. Well, mm -hmm. what happened? There were a shitload of music biopics that hit the market and mm -hmm. now it's a little cooler, right? There's still some that are getting made at kind of the talent of that, you know, phase, if you will, but like mm -hmm. there was a window and we're kind of nearing the end of that window. So yeah, I was going to say, I even yeah. see audiences on Twitter getting burnt out on the music biopic yeah, already. Exactly, you know, right? it, it happens quick. Yeah. And like, and, and yeah. so what I'm not implying is that writers should chase what's popular or totally divorce themselves of their own natural voice, you know, sure. to please an executive. What I am saying is by understanding what they're looking for, you can better align your work to accentuate the positive qualities to appeal to them to want to read it. Mm -hmm. No, I 100% agree. And, you know, there, I, I think you would probably agree. There's exceptions to every rule too, you know, like, I mean, I'm thinking of someone like, you know, Daniels, the Daniels are kind of doing something that's so odd and weird and probably shouldn't work and it's working, but that's like one case uh, that you can point to like, 
I think for most of us, you know, for me, that that's been something for me is um I'm, I am thinking about commercial viability now more than ever now that I am represented and trying to break into this, like you said, incredibly competitive, um, you know, friendly competition, but it is competitive, uh, wanting to get produced and wanting to get my career really popping off. Uh, it's tough and you, you have to have a game plan. You, uh, you can go into it just saying, I'm going to write passion project after passion project and just say what I want to say and not think about any of that other stuff. And I think that that, it, it, sure, it could work, but like, like you said, taking the time to understand the marketplace, understand what's working and not working and how you can use your specific voice and style to fit into that, even if, like you said, it's a niche and you just want to make indie stuff. That's great. You know, you can get an indie movie onto a streamer and that's amazing. Um, whatever. Yeah. But, what yeah. I would also say like for the Daniels though, and they're yeah. two of my favorite directors and, and have been for a long time. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit different for writer directors as opposed to people who are purely writing and also True. for them, like there's a body of work behind them. Right. So it's mm. not just them coming up with this crazy script about a farting corpse out of nowhere, which was their first movie. Yeah. They were the premier music video directors of mm -hmm. the 2010s. I mean, for anyone mm -hmm. who's not familiar, go look up the turn down for what video they did or this, yeah. my favorite video of theirs, a joy wave song called tongues. I mean, yeah. they were like the shit in the music video yeah. space for a long yeah. time. Someone just shared I the simple math, simple math video for yeah. Manchester they're, Orchestra. It's they're great. fucking awesome as music video yeah. directors. And so, yeah. but that does actually feed into, I think a point where a lot of, I think writers brains go to this negative place of, Oh, executives only want, you know, super down the middle trite shit. I think that's not true. I think executives actually want voices that feel really fresh and unique so long as they're interesting. I always say mm -hmm. the Daniels are the paramount of that, right? They're mm -hmm. not only one of one, but their work is really freaking interesting, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, you know, mm -hmm. they're one of one for a reason, right? Like you're not going to yeah. find success trying to be the next Quentin Tarantino or the next Daniels, you know, mm -hmm. they, they're, they're prodigies, right? Prodigies come, you know, once or twice in a generation. Yes. Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting conversation and thinking about the pushback on that because uh, the the general things that i saw on twitter with like the pushback were just kind of like like i'm not gonna change my voice i'm not gonna change my style and i would agree you shouldn't do that um and i think you just mentioned you shouldn't do that um god it's just such an interesting thing <laughs> that um I think it's just a misunderstanding. I think people, I think writers' brains, at least the the you know the pushback on that. Like, I think people's yeah. brains went to the negative place, which is, oh, you know, executives only want the trite shit. I think that's not true. I would give no. executives a lot yeah. more credit here. Maybe in mm -hmm. the modern context in 2023, maybe it's different than 20, 30 years ago. But mm -hmm. people want fresh shit. People want cool shit. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. if you're thinking, how do I align with what people want? Well, they want fresh, cool shit. So how, yeah. like that's. That's not at all trying to say you should, you know, align yourself to be the same as everyone else. No, quite the opposite. You should differentiate yourself from everyone else. Just do it yes. in a way that feels cool, interesting. Yeah. And all you have to do is look to, I mean, I think we've had a great run of movies in the last five years. And I'm thinking about, you know, as recently as Barbarian was kind of a very unique, new, fresh horror voice in Zach Kreger that kind of it had some time jumps and things that almost felt like a Tarantino-esque style of uh filmmaking but then um you know things like Promising Young Woman is very like 
you know, that's a different movie that shook things up. Like those things are being made all the time. So, uh, you know, we, it, it's pretty unfair to say that the only things being made are the trite, the, um, you know, already been done's. Uh, I think that we've had a lot of originality in the last few years and I mean, all across cinema, all across the history of cinema, there's groundbreaking shit all the time. That's like, Oh wow. That's completely different. Um, yeah. I understand I mean, we're a, in a the, lot of, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. But a no, lot go ahead, of go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to say today on this podcast is like, you know, is stuff that feels harsh. Right. But like mm-hmm. it's the harsh reality, but like, but there's also some, some real positives I think that are, happening happening trending in the in the industry right now which is if you look at what's working non-franchise non-ip like original shit right what's working tends to be the stuff that feels like we haven't seen it before right yeah you're down the middle buddy comedy doesn't work anymore if you can if Mm -hmm. you can totally reinvent that genre it works right yeah you're down the middle you know adult drama or action thriller isn't working anymore but if you can reinvent that genre right it works and so what i would say is while there's a paradox, right? Yes, franchise and non-original shit is dominating the film and, you know, in many cases, the television landscape. Yes, that's true. But mm-hmm. the 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 contra to that, right? The, or, the original things that are working, the specs that are working tend to be wholly original reinventions, right? Totally unique scripts, unique ideas. Um, now, look, there's still an element of that fresh but familiar landscape in there, right? Like, mm-hmm. of course, like a, a lot of things that are working still have elements of things that came before it. To be fair, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino, I would say, is the most original filmmaker of our generation. And all of mm-hmm. his shit has is, is you know, chock full of th- references and things that came before mm-hmm. it. So and, and, he, and he talks about it all the time, very openly, yeah. like, oh, yeah, I stole this from that. I stole this from that. Yeah, it's yeah. just some of the parts, right? It's it's taking yep. taking inspiration from all of the collective body of culture and, and art that has come before you and reinventing it in a way that feels wholly original and fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Um. Cool. I mean, yeah, unless there's anything else you want to kind of comment on that, I feel like we can move forward, but that was, that was great. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, okay. So wanted to ask once signed, what expectations do you have from clients in terms of output? We talked about work ethic and stuff, just wondering like, you know, a ballpark. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's more about the the work ethic and continually writing than you know, mandating a certain number of scripts in a certain period of time. I think there's Mm -hmm. also added context of people have day jobs, you know, people Mm -hmm. get staffed on TV shows, you know, Mm -hmm. things of that nature that are naturally going to affect output. Mm -hmm. So I'm less concerned about, are we writing, are we hitting deadlines? I'm more concerned about, you know, are you working in some way, shape or form? I should also mention when people say, always be writing. I don't think that literally means opening final draft and typing. I think researching is writing. I think developing mm-hmm. is writing. I think going through notes processes, that's writing, right? It's it, it's the writing process as a whole that you should always mm-hmm. be working on. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, to, to give writers some guideposts there, because admittedly that's more nebulous, I would say on the feature side, I think if your output is roughly in like the one to two specs a year ballpark, I think that's great. You know, that's not going to be for everybody. Some people write faster, slower, but I think that's a pretty fair median, let's say, mm-hmm. for for most feature writers in the spec space. Yeah. On the TV space, you know, 
I don't know, maybe two to three a year. But again, that's just a median. That's just a ballpark. Some people are naturally going to write faster, slower, and, and obviously, you know, day jobs and families and stuff, you know, come in the way. So I think if you're outside of those parameters, you might still be okay. But if you're looking for like, what is an average? I think that's a fair average. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. That sounds more than fair. Um, so talking about query emails <clears throat> and lumped into this, we can talk about contests. Um, yeah. What are, what are some recommendations maybe that you have about queries or about just, you know, the, the landscape of contests? Cause it's quite a shit show. And I think that a lot of writers would agree. There's, you know, everything from the nickel, which is kind of what helped me break in. Um, and again, like you said, it was my exposure point. It wasn't the thing that my manager was like, you know, we have to get him because of that. It was like, oh, I got on his radar, then he read my work, and then that's where it went. But um, yeah, from the nickel, which is considered one of the more prestigious ones, all the way down to, you know, like LA Screenwriting Weekly uh, film festival contest. And they charge the, they charge you the same amount to get in, but, um, the benefits are much different. So I was wondering just like, what's your opinion on that stuff that a lot of, you know, up and coming writers are navigating to try to find reps, to try to get into the industry. For sure. And, and let me preface this for, for you and for any listeners, um, mm -hmm. it's going to be a long answer. Yeah, for um, sure. I think this is worthy of like a conversation in of itself, because I think between queries yeah. and contests, those are two of the best ways for writers to break in. Mm -hmm. But I think they're also areas that a lot of writers find they're wasting their time and they're wasting their money because they're not doing it the right way or they just have the wrong expectations in mind from the outset. So I want to kind of provide hopefully some clarity on how to make sense of queries and contests. How can you actually get people to respond to your shit off of those? Mm -hmm. So let's take them one at a time. Talk queries first. Queries is a bit more straightforward. Um, your email should look professional. Your email should be somewhat personal. In other words, you don't have to look up everything I've ever done, right? But you shouldn't just have one email that you're just literally copying and pasting to 50 different managers, right? Yeah, that's um, what I did and it failed yeah and, and i'm sure you learned from yeah. that and i'm sure if you did yeah. it again right it, it would you know it probably yeah. work because it was you know, a learning would, lesson yeah, yeah exactly yeah. right yeah. yeah um but you know at least do the bare minimum of research to pick something about whoever it is you're writing to to make it seem like it's not a form email right mm -hmm. um you know this this sounds obvious and yet a percentage of queries i get have a weird comic sans font or you know size 20 text or just like weird shit like like make it look like a professional email right yeah yeah i mean the default um, the default font settings are probably fine the default right font settings in email are perfectly acceptable <laughs> you don't need to fuck with yeah. those yeah um you know the next thing i would say is don't like, I, for some reason a certain percentage of writers out there have it in their head they've been given bad advice that you should just get straight to the point and just say Hello, log line. Do you want to read? No, like absolutely not. I, mm -hmm. I'm as a rep, I'm repping people, not projects. I yeah. guarantee you reps will not respond to your queries if you don't list something about who the hell you are, right? Mm -hmm. If you're just saying log line, do you want to read? Like, who the hell are you? I, I've, yeah. I have no idea, right? Are you a professional yeah. writer? Like, are, do you mm -hmm. live in the United States? Again, I'll, I'll sign mm -hmm. people who, who are anywhere, but you know what I mean? Like, it is yeah. really helpful for me to have some context as to, who it is you are sounds obvious and yet I'm not joking mm -hmm. when i say like 20 to 25 percent of the queries i get are that way mm -hmm. please don't do that yeah. um 
yeah. proper way is you want to give roughly a few sentences of background introduction on the context for who you are, what you've accomplished, why you're reaching out, right? Mm -hmm. Again, just mm -hmm. basic standards of professionalism. Just mm -hmm. like if you were applying for a job, you wouldn't just say, hello, resume. Let me know if you're if you want to meet, right? You would say, hello, I'm so-and-so. Mm -hmm. I have this background. I'm interested in your job for X reason, right? Would you mm -hmm. please consider me? Similar for a query letter. You want to be succinct, mm -hmm. but you still mm -hmm. want to have that introductory context, right? To for lead sure. into your log line. Yeah. So then after you've done that, I think, you know, a few sentences is fine. Mm -hmm. Highlight anything that feels like it's going to separate you from the path, right? Again, same topics of conversation, diversity, lived experiences, accomplishments, screenplay contests, credits, et cetera, right? industry experience that sort of thing mm -hmm. then you want to go into the log line mm -hmm. so here is where you want to be very succinct again but effectively communicate why your script is special i think a lot of writers tend to gloss over a log line you know mm -hmm. i get it they've worked for months and months on this script and they spent the last week thinking of a title and they're finally done and they're like i just want to be over with it, right mm -hmm. but the reality is People are going to judge you by your log line. Mm -hmm. So you have to make it sexy, right? Mm -hmm. You have to yeah. make it stand out in whatever way, shape, or form you can based on what's actually in the script, you know? And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I would say focus a lot of your time on figuring out the best version of a log line, test it, you know, write three different log lines, send it to your friends, send it to your writer's groups, see which one they like the best, right? That's really, really important to mm -hmm. underutilize skill. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, look, if, if there's an opportunity to give me some context in terms of comps, right, um, is this a more commercial thing? Is this something that feels like a crazy voice sample? Is this something that you feel like, you know, is, is a blacklist type script, which, which I would say is a voice sample? Um, you know, anything of that sort, right? Like highlight that, you know, this is your mm -hmm. opportunity to give the right context mm -hmm. to whoever it is you're querying to get them to respond, <clears throat> right? This is your space. Control it. Don't, mm -hmm. don't write a form letter. Write mm -hmm. a letter that accentuates the positives of your script. If you mm -hmm. do that, you're not you're never going to get a, a super high response rate from queries. Because to be blunt, I, I think only a small percentage of managers and agents actually respond to them. But like, mm -hmm. there are ones that do, myself included, and I've signed mm -hmm. multiple writers off of queries, um, yeah. including Side Crumpler, by the way, who you referenced earlier. Um, and oh, uh, is, it is yeah. no way you signed him. Absolutely. I did not realize that. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. That's a little bit yeah. embarrassing for me. I'm sorry. No, I should have no, no. done my it's, research. It's, all, but it's all good, man. Like, it, yeah, side like, is amazing. That just, that just proves that, like, if you do it correctly and his query letter was outstanding, yeah. um, it can work for you. So yeah. that that's queries. Um, before we move into contests, anything else we should cover there? Or any, anything you feel a little bit unclear on? No, I think that's great. And I just wanted to mention too, for everyone listening that, you know, I also have many writer friends who have been repped from queries. So yeah, it can work. Like you said, probably a low response rate, but it can work. So if you want to throw your Hail Mary, I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, again, just set the right expectations, right? So like, yeah, yeah. you know, as a, as an aside, before I, moved to Hollywood, I worked, uh, I worked for Google and my job was ad sales. And part of my job was essentially cold calling people to try to get them to advertise in Google. Right. Mm -hmm. When you're doing that job, you're like, they gave us metrics. Like what was an expected response rate, right? If you could convert 2% of your cold calls 
you were mm-hmm. doing great, right? Yeah. Similar when it comes to query letters, right? Like you shouldn't expect 100% of the people to respond, just like mm-hmm. you wouldn't respond to most of the junk mail you get, right? Yeah. Um, you know, or if someone like solicitors, right? Like calling it like, you know, you're never going to respond to most of those people. But if you can get yeah. a few responses, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. So that's queries. Yeah, cool. Contests. Yes. <laughs> this is going to be a long conversation. Saddle up, grab your yeah. cup of coffee, right? This, this is a whole thing. But yeah. I think this is really valuable because this is, in my opinion, short of industry experience, one of, if not the best way to get onto managers' radars in particular. Mm-hmm. And so contests, I'll preface by saying they can admittedly be a bit of a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. So you want to apply to more than one, but you don't need to apply to all of them. It, it's a waste of money. There are a lot that are just, you know, third tier. They're not on people's radars, right? But mm-hmm. what I can say is someone who's tracking one top tier contest is probably going to be tracking the others. And so as long as you're placing in, again, ballpark, roughly the semifinals, let's say, I think mm-hmm. placement within that range doesn't honestly matter all that much. I think exposure is the key, right? Mm-hmm. Just being on the list that gets distributed to industry insiders is key. By list, I mean contests will email me and say, hey, here's our list of, let's say, semifinalists and finalists, right? Or maybe quarterfinalists and here are the log lines. Mm-hmm. That's key, just getting on that list. Yeah. Also, I don't think you need to apply to the same with, with the same script year after year, which I see a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, the best strategy is to pick three or four of the top contests, shoot your shot. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out with that script, come back the next year with something that's you know ideally a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also important to go into these contests with, again, appropriate expectations in mind. So if you're a beginner, I think it might be worth it to enter a few just to gauge where your writing is at, right? Yeah. It's hard yeah. to know when you're working in a vacuum. And I think contests can be a good barometer to know if your work is ready to start making outside inquiries with. Mm, um, I agree. Yeah, because one thing to keep in mind is when people read on you and they pass on you, it's hard to get them to read another thing after that, right? Mm-hmm. And so you might have an amazing log line, a great concept. You might query people and get responses. But if the execution isn't great on the page and people pass on you, mm-hmm. you're going to have trouble getting them to read you again. And so if you're a beginner... Mm-hmm. I think contests can be valuable in determining is my work good enough in a general sense, right? That everyone is just going to pass on me on the execution. Um, So that's the first aspect. Now for writers who are at that next phase, they know their work is good. They're trying to break in. have to ask ourselves who's actually paying attention to these contests. And the answer is in my experience, mostly managers. There are a few producers that pay attention. There are a few agents, but I think for the most part, contests are the domain of managers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this because A, I judge a lot of them, and B, because I've signed writers off of winning scripts at most mm-hmm. of the major competitions at this point. And I got to tell you, there weren't that many incoming calls from producers off of these competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, however, these same scripts, when myself and my colleagues, or I mean, really it could be any great manager out there, when we turn around and expose these scripts to producers, we often generate interest. So mm-hmm. doing the math, anecdotally, I can tell you firsthand, you know, the realistic victory point of entering contests, I think should be getting a manager, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could also tell you, we should qualify this 
contests in particular tend to work better on the feature side than on the TV side. And mm-hmm. I think that plays into the nature of how you break into each side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, to get a little bit more detailed in, in, into that, and then we can move on because um, mm-hmm. there's more to talk about on the contest side. But yeah. um, quick tangent, breaking mm-hmm. in as a feature writer versus a TV writer. Yeah. As a feature writer, you can really break in off of one great spec screenplay. Yeah, as that's a TV what I, writer, that's, that's yeah. what I did. Yeah. yeah, I think that's how a lot of people broke in, right? You have mm-hmm. one script, whether it's your first one or your tenth one, right? There's that one that catches fire that mm-hmm. generates, you know, that maybe it gets you signed, maybe you're already signed as a you know, subsequent screenplay that gives yeah. you a lot of generals that ideally mm-hmm. set up somewhere, you know, and then your career kind of takes off from there. Yeah. TV breaking in is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. It's much more of an inside baseball game. A lot of staff writer jobs, which are the lowest level of the staffing hierarchy, a lot of those jobs are filled from insider ranks, be it through assistants getting promoted, be it through insider referrals to the showrunner, be it through the studio TV fellowships, um, be it through people who are you know successful playwrights or feature screenwriters making the transition to TV, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot rarer and more difficult to break in into TV getting staff as an outsider. And so consequentially, I think managers aren't to the same degree looking to sign TV writers off of contests. Doesn't mean it's a zero. Like I'm not implying it never happens. I just think, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, it's a little bit more rare. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, in terms of expectation settings, I would I would anticipate the success rate on the TV side is lower than on the feature side, not zero. So, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I mean, it's still worth it again as a barometer. Am I ready? You know, et cetera. If you win mm-hmm. a contest, you know, maybe you get a little bit more exposure. But mm-hmm. we'd be fooling ourselves if we if we didn't say it's harder on the TV side than the feature side for contests. So that that was mm-hmm. my tangent. Yeah, no, interesting um, distinction for sure. Definitely, yeah. So, yeah. okay, let's move to the next phase of the conversation. Now okay. that we have the right expectations in mind, how mm-hmm. do we achieve the desired results? Mm-hmm. How do we actually get reads from contests? Mm-hmm. I think the answer is, maybe not surprisingly, it's all about the log line. If you think mm-hmm. about it, that's all the information a manager or anyone you know on my side of the table has to go by to determine whether or not they want to read your script. So you have to put yourself in our shoes. Mm-hmm. What are we looking for, right? Now, the mm-hmm. cynical answer is, you know, oh, everyone in this town is looking for something they can make money off of. True, but I'll give managers in particular a bit more credit than that because I think we tend to be more invested in growing careers from a foundational level, right? Mm-hmm. We're the ones who are more than other, more than agents or producers. Like we're investing in beginner level talent to try to break them in. And mm-hmm. so I think the the real answer is, managers are looking for a script that can get producers excited mm-hmm. an idea that producers in turn will want to read mm-hmm. um by the way side note another area where writers get too cynical because I, I think <laughs> again from that twitter conversation right i think a lot of writers hear this and their brains go to the bad place of selling out chasing trends you know writing down the middle stuff like etc but I, I i think the reality is at least that i experience is the answer is a lot broader than that I found mm-hmm. producers and to a degree agents as well will also respond to a very loud voice sample, mm-hmm. like a concept that screams, this is one of one, you know, and, mm-hmm. and also it seems super interesting. Right. And that could mm-hmm. be any genre. And so mm-hmm. in, in, in some total, what are producers looking for? They're looking to get excited by something either they can make money off of, or that just screams, 
this is really fucking interesting, right? And when and you so, say that, yeah. when you yeah. say that in the terms of a really loud voice sample, yep. Um, are you saying that they'd be really interested in producing it or just meeting with the writer and maybe working together on something that isn't that like kind of out there sample? Yeah, it, it could be either, you know, and yeah, I think yeah, either of those yeah. outcomes is great. Either of those outcomes works to break someone in, right? Because mm -hmm. either mm -hmm. you're getting a great producer to raise their hand and now you actually have something in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Um in which case you're probably also getting a lot of general meetings off of that, right? Yeah, yeah, Or, yeah. you know, even if you don't have the former, if you accomplish what we're talking about here, right, that loud voice sample um, that people are going to find interesting, you're still going to generate a lot of meetings off of that. And, and mm. it, you got to note that generals are the lifeblood of the industry, especially mm. all the way throughout your career, right? Generals are the lifeblood because that's how you forge those relationships. That's how you get onto people's radars, but especially mm -hmm. before you already have an existing body of work, right? An existing mm -hmm. credit pool to your name. Mm -hmm. That's how people are going to know you, right? That's, mm -hmm. how, that's how you're going to impress people so that they put you on the writer's list for open writing assignments, you know, et cetera, down the yeah. road. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you, you want to, the idea for managers is to find a piece of material or at least a voice on the page. Cause sometimes I'll read something and I'm like, I know this is too close to something that's in the marketplace already or whatever, but like, it's just really interesting or it's, you know, it's really good. And I might say, let's put this one away and let's focus on something new, but there's a voice here. But I would say in general, like you want to find something that people on the other side of the table are going to be really excited to read. Mm -hmm. um, now, the problem is, is that I found, you know, not many writers understand the types of stories that producers find interesting. And, and mm -hmm. a lot of writers, I think, make the mistake, to be blunt, of writing for an audience of one. You know, I would challenge writers who are serious about making a living as a screenwriter to reassess a bit. And, and to be fair, I know it's hard to understand, to, to literally be able to figure out what execs are going to find interesting. It's an inexact science at best, of course. Mm -hmm. um, here's where doing the hard work of research, I think, will prepare you to be specific. I think this is where combing through the annual blacklist, especially focusing on the top 10 of, of each individual annual blacklist, mm -hmm. the trades, right? Mm -hmm. Go through Deadline, go through Ride and the Hollywood Reporter, mm -hmm. go through IndieWire and Collider. Mm -hmm. um, know what movies that originated as specs specifically are getting made, right? Mm -hmm. There's a certain mm -hmm. percentage of original material that's director driven. You know, mm -hmm. obviously a lot of material, even in the original space, quote unquote, is adaptations from books, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Know what successful material originated as specs, right? If you do all that research, I do think it'll pay off because patterns emerge regardless of genre. You'll, you'll start to see the commonalities amongst mm -hmm. the stuff that's popping. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I should say also, there's another type of script that can get execs excited, which is <laughs> something they can make money off of, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's a similar pattern though of research to understand mm -hmm. that, right? Now you're just really focusing on what's working in the box office, right? Mm -hmm. For streaming, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of data yet. You know, hopefully we get more data as a result of the upcoming negotiations between the WGA and the studios, mm -hmm. but you know, for now, it's hard to know what's popping on streaming, right? I guess you can theoretically do a bit of research there, but it's hard. I think the easier way is just to say, you know, what is actually working at the box office? Um, mm -hmm. And again, I, I think, you know, this is kind of irregardless of genre, right? Um, but you also have to factor in another variable 
which is supply and demand. And, and mm-hmm. I need it in this context. Number of qualified writers is supply. Number of available jobs is demand. So very quick tangent. Mm-hmm. How do you make money continually as a writer? How do you actually do this for 20 years, you know, and and be able to pay off a mortgage and raise a family, right? Mm-hmm. I would say the way to do it at this point in time is to get yourself to a level where the core of your income is being generated by winning writing assignments because, and I hate to say this, but it's just the truth, specs don't sell anymore like they used to. Mm-hmm. I wish this wasn't the case. I wish I came up in like the 80s and 90s where Joe Esterhaus and Shane Black would like, you know, set like write a spec in a weekend and sell it for a million dollars on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just not the reality anymore. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. writers still get paid from specs, but they get paid further down the pipeline once a project is already oftentimes packaged and eventually, you know, a year and a half later, whatever it is, right, set up at a studio or financier. Mm-hmm. And so the way you the way you pay off a mortgage as a screenwriter over 20 years is you get yourself to a level where you are winning assignments and being paid to write upfront. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when you're at a certain level, you can sell and pitch, et cetera, but you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's still rare at that, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's more of a feature conversation, but again, in, in the context, broader context of talking about contests, let's yeah. view it through the feature lens more mm-hmm. than the TV lens. That That's mm-hmm. where you can find success. So for, for any writers confused, talking features here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look at it through the lens of, number of available jobs, right, versus number of qualified writers. Um, and, and this can help inform what you should write and what you should be applying with to contests. And I can tell you, you know, the genres on the feature side, in the real world 2023, the genres that have the best supply and demand ratio, in other words, the ones that are relatively easier to book jobs in, mm-hmm. are first and foremost, what I would call elevated genre, right? Horror mm-hmm. and sci-fi um, that mm-hmm. feels smart. There's a big mm-hmm. demand and there's just not a lot of writers that are working in that space. Mm-hmm. That's an area where you can take advantage. Mm-hmm. Grounded thriller, um, let's say smart action and maybe mm-hmm. adult romantic comedies mm-hmm. yeah. um, as opposed to YA um, yeah. and as opposed to broad comedy. Um, yeah. But, and again, to clarify, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't write whatever it is that you're passionate about, right? If, if mm-hmm. adult drama mm-hmm. is your thing, fantastic, write adult drama. Mm-hmm. But one thing that frustrates me is like, I see all these experts, including industry leaders, telling aspiring writers purely to follow their voice without also educating writers on the odds of succeeding in one space versus another, Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what I would mm-hmm. say is do write what you're passionate about, but mm-hmm. also know the odds in front of you. And maybe if you go in a direction that's a more difficult space to break into, maybe there's an opportunity to within the broader scope of whatever genre it is that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. maybe you can edge your work a little bit closer to commerciality to give yourself slightly better odds to break in again mm-hmm. in an industry where you know most most don't and mm-hmm. also to tie back into an earlier part of our conversation you should definitely accentuate right the most attractive parts of whatever it is that you're writing mm-hmm. um so you know not to be doom and gloom i do think mm-hmm. that any writer with the right script can break in in any given year especially on the feature side mm-hmm. um but you have to be smart about it, right? And you have to be yeah. you have to be educated in the process. And, yeah. and so 
to, to kind of sum up this whole contest conversation, mm-hmm. um, I, I think finding a manager is a great pathway to breaking in professionally mm-hmm. and finding the finding a great concept and subsequently honing a great log line to accentuate what makes your script so special is mm-hmm. the best way to get managers who are, again, going through contests, looking at log lines, to get managers excited to read your work. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. That was a great, great answer. And I think it's just a lot of, you know, well, like you said, not to be doom and gloom. It's a lot of like harsh realities that I think writers should, you know, if, if you walk away from listening to this podcast with just the mentality of like, okay, that's fine, but I'm still just going to write from the heart, no matter what, I'm not going to really think too much about that, you know, the commercial stuff and all that stuff. That's fine. But it's just good, like you said, to educate yourself and just to have like an understanding, especially from a rep who is working in the industry. I think that, you know, if you are fortunate enough to know a producer who's working in the industry consistently, um, getting their opinion on it, you know, and it's not going to align with you necessarily always the writer, the, the, the artist, um, putting together the, the art that is going to be sold later. Uh, it might not always align, but I think that like, yeah, just get all perspectives on this industry and take what you like and much like screenwriting notes, take what you like and leave what you don't and, you know, follow your heart. But, um, it's good to understand these things. Like I know for me, just the closer I've gotten to really truly breaking in, I've kind of, like you said, you know, a feature on spec can be a year, year and a half. I'm actually at the one year mark of like being in development with what is hopefully going to be the thing that really breaks me in. But like you said, dude, it's a long process and um, it's just the nature of the business. But um only in since I've gotten, you know, really close to breaking in the industry, have I really, really started paying more attention, attention to the trades and just really trying to educate myself on that. It's like a step-by-step thing. It's like for years, I was just trying to learn to write. And now, um, of course, I'll always have things to learn about writing, but now that I'm kind of getting a little step closer, it's like, I should probably have a better understanding on the industry and the way these things actually work. And once I started learning about that, it was a holy shit moment of this is so much bigger than I anticipated. Like I, I don't know anything. And um, so that's where I'm at right now is really educating myself on that side. And I think to that, this conversation is so helpful Um, and you know, another manager who is also working at a high level may have a difference of opinion on certain things, but I think that what you're saying is probably like, it feels pretty consistent from what I've heard on other podcasts with managers, um, harsh truths that are hard to take in the beginning as a a writer, just, you know, not even just getting started, but just starting to really make noise and try to do this professionally. These are harsh realities of the business. For sure. And and I'll say two last things. One is, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not crazy or egotistical enough to think I have all the answers. Right. But like everything I say today, I should caveat is just based on my lived experience as not only a manager, but a manager who works at a company where our specialty is actually signing people who are in these contests and queries and, you know, things of that nature, beginning level writers. Mm-hmm. And successfully breaking them into the industry, right? Yeah. And so that's my lived experience. Mm-hmm. Take of that what you will. Yeah. Um, second thing is, I know there's a hell of a lot of TV writers out there who are, you know, listening to this conversation, going, "Wait a minute, you just talked about features for 45 minutes. Like, what the fuck do I do?" 
And so mm-hmm. what I would say is on the TV side, yes, you should pursue all these paths and they're also viable, but the best singular pathway to breaking in as a TV writer is to however you can by hook or by crook, get into that inside baseball track, right? So work in television as an assistant, work in post-production, mm-hmm. um, you know, work at a talent agency to, <laughs> you know, which are obviously like the center points of the industry and then in turn get you a job working for a showrunner or, you know, writer's room assistant, script coordinator, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond that, enter, uh, apply for the studio fellowships, right? Apply mm-hmm. for the Warner Brothers, CBS, NBC, fellow, you know, et cetera, fellowships. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all great pathways to getting staffed. And the mm-hmm. last thing is network, network, network. I can't mm-hmm. tell you how helpful it is when I have TV writers and they're supplementing the work that I'm doing for them by proactively reaching out to showrunners, befriending writers assistants, you know, working TV writers, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, because so much of that game is inside referral tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree. I'm more of a feature person, but I think it even, you know, as a feature writer, you know, meeting execs, you know, and just forming relationships with people, it, it never really hurts. Um, you never know where that opportunity might come from. And not that you're gaming people and, you know, only befriending people with an ulterior motive, but it's just, why wouldn't you set yourself up? Um, and it's fun to make friends in the industry, but, um, but yeah, I totally agree. The TV thing is a little bit murkier. Uh, so I wonder, you know, you kind of just summed it up, but is there any last words that you would say to screenwriters out there, especially to those who are just getting started? Yeah, I'm going to say one doom and gloom thing and then one okay. ray of hope. The doom okay. and gloom thing is only do this if you really, really fucking love it and you mm-hmm. couldn't imagine yourself doing anything else. Because mm-hmm. as we've talked about before, this is a really hard industry to break into. Only mm-hmm. 1% maybe of screenwriters trying to break in will be successful. It is mm-hmm. comparable to trying to be a professional athlete, right? Getting mm-hmm. drafted in, in the NFL, you know, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. being signed by a major label as a recording art, right? It's only yeah. the top 1%. So yeah. if you're going to do this, you better make sure you fucking love it because you're mm-hmm. probably going to have a better chance of making more money in virtually any other industry you, you would otherwise enter, right? Mm-hmm. So, but if you do love it, mm-hmm. this is a wonderful industry to work in, right? Mm-hmm. It's fun. We're creating art there's a great opportunity now to tell different types of stories and exciting stories um, that didn't exist, you know, until, until this modern wave, this digital wave, you know, this new emphasis on telling, you know, new stories that historically haven't been told, right. This is a great Mm -hmm. time to tell stories. Mm -hmm. And so that's a trade-off, right. You're, you're betting that you are going to, you know, overcome the odds to make it. But in success, you get to do one of the coolest fucking jobs that exists in the world. And so what I would say mm-hmm. is keep writing, you know, keep keep honing your craft, put in the 10,000 hours of work, right, mm-hmm. to perfect the art. Um, and to sum everything up into one sentence, find what it is that makes you special and write towards that. Totally agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. Zach Zucker, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show today. It was a great episode. I think it's going to be really helpful to a lot of people. Thanks, Andy. Pleasure being here. 
All right, y'all. Episode 29 is in the books. I want to thank Zach Zucker for coming on the show. It was a great conversation. Hearing a rep's point of view, hearing from the other side of the table um, about the industry, the market, trends, writing in general, branding yourself, all those things. Um, I always appreciated before I got repped, I always appreciated podcasts with managers. I mean, shit, I still do. It's always really interesting insight because they really are every single day working very, very close to the industry at large and working with execs and working with producers and agents. And I think that, you know, honestly, I think you'd be a fool to not take into consideration a lot of the things that Zach brought up. Um, personally, I feel that way. I think that sometimes we have a habit as writers of running people off Twitter who are very in tune with the industry and maybe delivering harsh truths that we don't want to hear as artists, which I get, dude. I just made a fucking $250 short film about a guy losing his mind because he thinks his roommate is a robot. And that's dumb and probably would never work as a feature film. However, like, so I like following the art, I like following the fun, but I'm also working on other shit that's like, you know, I am very much considering what the market is trending towards, and I'm taking notes from producers that sometimes I don't love the note, but it's about compromise. It's, you know, like other things in life, it's about compromising and meeting in the middle. Now, don't compromise on things that you... 100 percent don't think you should budge on i'm not talking about those things those things i will make a case for myself but a lot of things you know i get it whenever a certain point is made that this is going to make the movie better um and it's like killing your darling it's like sometimes that stuff needs to happen so anyway i hope you guys got something out of that conversation and um I wanted to say, too, again, CAPTCHA is on YouTube. Ethan and Edna is on YouTube. If you guys want to watch those short films, I appreciate it. Sharing it really helps. Hitting the thumbs up really helps. Leaving a comment really helps. Um, And uh, subscribing to the YouTube really helps. If you guys want to do those things, I really, really appreciate it. If not, no big deal. It's my dumb short films on YouTube. But um, if you want to shout out this episode and shout out Zach Zucker, I believe he does not have a Twitter handle right now, but um, shout out the episode, you know, share the promo and say something that you liked about it. Say something smart Zach said, say something dumb than I said. Uh, Just tell me what you're thinking about the episode at Social Writer Pod. You can find our Twitter and Instagram, tag us up, say whatever you want. Um, I really appreciate hearing the feedback. Sometimes I feel like I'm just doing these things in my bedroom and just talking to the void. Um, It's a strange experience. So I love hearing feedback about what you guys like about the episodes. That's it for me, guys. Uh, As usual, I don't know how to end these things ever. I don't notice. I don't know if you've noticed that, that that's a trend that I'm always winging these things. I never really have a game plan. Um, So I will say... You know, take care of yourself, make sure you're drinking enough water, make sure you're getting up from the writing and moving your legs and getting your blood flowing. Uh, You know, be nice to people on Twitter when they're not exactly being explicitly rude directly to you. Uh, I think that we can use a more positive 
Twitter environment. I say that as I made some troll tweets today that you'll probably you might remember if you follow me. Um, I made some troll tweets today about screenwriting advice, drop your screenwriting advice. And it was just a thread of people genuinely trying to drop screenwriting advice. And I was just kidding. So I apologize for that. Um, I, but I, I said at the beginning, like I'm having, I forget what I said. I'm having a mental breakdown. Leave me screenwriting advice. I thought it was funny. thought it was silly. It's the last thing you should get when you're having a mental breakdown. Anyway, guys, I love you. Thank you for listening. Uh, Bye-bye. The Social Screenwriters Podcast.